adored the stallion, and he, and he offered a small fortune to this poor man for the stallion. And after a terribly harsh winter, during which the old man and his family starved, the townspeople came to, and visited the old man and said, Old man, you can hardly afford to feed your family. Sell the stallion and you will be rich. You are a fool if you do not. And the old man replied, It's too early to tell. A few months later, the old man woke up and found that the white stallion had, had run away. And once again, the townspeople came uh, to the old man and said, See, if you had sold the king your horse, you would have been rich. Now you have nothing. You are a fool. And the old man replied, It's too early to tell. Two weeks later, the white stallion returned, and along with it, three other white stallions. And the town people came and said, Old man, uh, we are the fools. Now you have, a three st now you have four stallions, and you could sell one stallion to the king and be wealthy, and then three others. You are smart. And the old man replied, It's too early to tell. The following week, the old man's son, his only son, was trying to break in the stallions. And at one stallion bucked him and threw him off and fell upon him and fell upon his legs and crippled him. And the townspeople came to the old man and said, Old man, if you had just sold the stallion to the king, you would be rich and your son would not be crippled. You are a fool. And the old man replied, It's too early to tell. Well, the next month, war broke out with the neighboring village, and all the villagers sent their sons into war, and all their sons died. The townspeople came and were crying to the old man, we have lost our sons, but you're the only one who has a son left. If you had sold your stallion to the king, your son too would be dead. You are so smart. And the old man replied, it's too early to tell. In the midst of our circumstances, in the midst of all our trials, in the midst of natural disasters, of human evil, in the midst of this sin-stained world, well-meaning people try to offer explanations as to why bad things happen. The truth is, you and I and they do not know. They do not know why bad things happen. They do not know why an earthquake hits Puerto Rico after a hurricane. They do not know why the man gets to save his son and why others die. They don't know why some get cancers and some don't. It's too early to tell. We don't know the answers. We don't know why bad things happen to good people or good things happen to bad people. What we do know is that God is sovereign over all things all the time. So this is really important to understand. Because when Katrina hit, there was lots of televangelists that were saying that it was God's judgment upon New Orleans. Really? 
You're telling me there's none of God's people in New Orleans? And he was judging them in that manner? They don't know that. What I, what I do know is that God is in charge of creation. There's not, there's not a, a hurricane that happens like, God, shoot, that's out of control. I can't, can't control that. There's not, there's not a molecule in this created order in which God is not sovereign over all the time. We know that God has a plan and purpose for all things, no matter how much we think we know the reason or know the purpose or the events in our life. We do not know the mind of God. And we don't always know his plan or purpose in the small details. Ecclesiastes 8.17, Solomon says this, Then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. Solomon, this whole book is about Solomon telling us about how he's, he searched wisdom and foolishness and everything all the time. He's gone and he's looked into the depths of knowledge. And we know Solomon is the wisest man that's ever existed. He asked, it for, he asked for wisdom from God. And he's saying the summary of all his wisdom is that he cannot understand why God does certain things or why certain things happen. Or he cannot interpret the events of this world. No one can. Only God, all of the wisdom of humanity, cannot grasp what God does not want man to know. The reason and details of certain events. This is the dilemma for Solomon. It's the dilemma for you and I as we see the injustices of this world. We, we want to know why. Why do these things happen? We see bad behavior rewarded in this world. And there's no, there's no consequence for it. There's no natural consequences. There's no immediate consequences for their behavior. This world seems unjust to us. Ecclesiastes 8, 10 through 11. Solomon says, Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against the evil deed is not executed speedily. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. The psalmist is saying, look at wicked people, we bury them. They get, the, they get the dignity of a burial. But these wicked people lived their lives. They went into the holiest places. They got to participate in the religious life of our culture. They got to make sacrifices to God. And we knew they were wicked. We knew they didn't even mean their sacrifices. And then not only that, when it allowed that, we actually praised them. We actually lifted them up as role models and said, look at them. Aren't they great? And someone says, this is injustice. And he also says, this is vanity. Now, does vanity mean meaningless? No, not in this book. Vanity means what? Temporary, a moment, a miss. It says, this is, it may seem like forever for us. Why isn't their justice executed immediately? Why don't evil people get what they deserve right now? This is what Solomon is saying. He says, all of this, all of this delay in justice is temporary. 
And it is as the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Now, is he saying only the wicked people? No, what he's saying is that everyone is wicked. Everyone's heart is set to do evil. And part of this is we see, like, we see evil people rewarded. Notice we always kind of put evil people outside of us, right? Eviler people than us, more wicked than us. People lie, they cheat, they steal, and if no one knows about it, they can reap the benefits, right? And so if no one knows about it, there's no consequence for lying, cheating, or stealing, or other things. They continue to do it. There's no deterrent. And even if that some of the people lie, steal, cheat, and people do know about it, what Solomon's saying is that there is no consequence for it. People don't care, and they still reap the benefits for their lying, their stealing, stealing, and their cheating. There doesn't appear to be any consequences for people's behavior. So, if there's no consequence, there's no deterrent, behaviors spiral out of control. People keep doing those things. And we want immediate justice for ourselves, mostly. We want justice for people that harm us. But we also want it sometimes for others. We want the sentence against evil deeds to be executed immediately. just want to hold that for a second. You want, when someone harms you, you want justice to happen immediately, don't you? You want justice to happen right now. We see it on TV. Why isn't justice happening? Hold that. Do you really want justice to happen immediately? Hold that thought for a moment. Because here's the reality. When justice doesn't happen immediately, when behavior, bad behaviors get rewarded, morality seems pointless. Why don't we just do what pleases ourselves? Why don't we just do whatever? Ecclesiastes 8, 12 through 13. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet, Solomon says, I know it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. Solomon suddenly seems to change course in what he's talking about. He says, the wicked go unpunished. They seem to live lives. They seem to prosper in this life. And then Solomon says, this is all vanity. This is all temporary. Hey, it will be well for those who fear God. People who think they're prolonging their lives, think they're benefiting from their wickedness, they will not benefit. There will be a consequence. Proverbs 11.21 says, Be assured, an evil person will not go unpunished, but the offspring of the righteous will be delivered. That is an interesting phrasing that there. The offspring of the righteous will be delivered. That means it's not your righteousness that will deliver you. Right? It's who you descend from. Are you the offspring of a righteous one? My mom and dad are pretty good people. That's not what it means at all. Here is the good news. The good news in the midst of all of this injustice, of all of this delayed justice, the good news is very clearly that God is a just God. He cares very much about justice. In fact, he's the only one who is just. 
the true and ultimate justice will be served. It's our perspective is skewed. We think of the present as eternal. And God says it's temporary. It's just a moment. Justice will be served eternally. And it's that all sin, all sin, all sinners will be dealt with justly. Rest assured, God will deal with your sin. Rest assured, God will deal with you because all of us are wicked. All of us are sinners. And here is the basic truth, the foundation of this world in which we understand and which God is saying. Justice will be served. I am a just God. Justice will either be served at the end of your days when you stand before God and all your deeds will be accounted for and you will receive the just penalty for your sin in which we know all the wages, everything that you earn for your sin is death. You can get that. Or justice will be served at the cross. Jesus takes upon all of your sin, all of it, even the one you haven't even done yet. He takes it upon him. He is the embodiment of this sin. And God executes the judgment of death upon him for all of our sins. It's one or the other. Justice will be served. Jesus takes the place. He issues the judgment. He is the judge. He issues the judgment. And then he stands and says, I will take their place. I will pay the penalty. And that penalty is his life. Death has to be served. Justice has to be served. And it's either your death or Jesus' death. Now, yeah, you might think, well, I'm going to let Jesus die for me. There's more to entail than just that, right? Because you can't just say, I'm going to let Jesus die for me, and then say, I can then do whatever I want. That's not how it works. The question for all of us, Solomon asks, will you fear God? Will you trust God? Will you love a God who is willing to take justice for you? Will you love the God who is just and will make sure justice happens? Ecclesiastes 8.14 There is a vanity that, that takes place on earth that there are righteous people to whom happens according to the deeds of the wicked. Right? There are good people that bad things happen to. And there are wicked people to whom happens according to the deeds of the righteous. They are, there are Bad people in which good things happen to. It seems unjust. But Solomon says, hold on, this is temporary. This is vanity. This will not last forever. Good things happen to bad people, and bad things happen to good people, and the wicked prosper, which is true, but they will get their reward in the end. The fundamental question that Solomon is poking at is, is the problem of evil in our world. What do we do with that? How do we understand it? And did you go back to that Proverbs question? Did you hear that? Be assured an evil per person will not go unpunished. But who? Who will be delivered? The heir of the righteous one. 
The offspring. Right. So you are righteous because God has says you're mine. I adopt you. You're now my child. Not because of anything you've done, but because of the grace in which he has. He says, you are mine. You are heirs to the kingdom. You are co-heirs with Christ. It's his righteousness, not ours. And that's what Proverbs 11.21 says. Right? You will be delivered by his righteousness. He will take the place. Why do bad things happen then to good people? In the middle uh, of Jesus telling parables to the apostles and the people surrounding him, the people question and they push back to Jesus on the questions of justice under the sun. Like, Jesus, we got to understand this. There's, there's evil in our world and I, I, we need to understand this. And this is what they say in Luke 13, 1 through 5. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered in this way? And he goes on to say, No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or these 18 of whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. They ask him, like, okay, Jesus, they give him two things that just happened to him, right? Look, they were Galileans who Pilate, they were innocent people, haven't done anything wrong. They were worshiping God in the temple. And what were they, in their sacrifices, Pilate ruthlessly killed them, mixed their blood with their offering, with their sacrifices. It's, it's grotesque. It's blasphemous. It's, it's cruel. It's, it's, in modern day, it would be like uh, us taking pig blood and throwing it on a Muslim. Offensive. This is a terrible deed in which Pilate did. And they're asking, did, did they get this because they were evil people? And Jesus responded, like, do you think these Galileans were worse than other Galileans? And then he says, he talks about another thing. There's a tower of Siloam, which is this giant tower in a, a part of Jerusalem. And, and it falls, unexpectedly falls. It kills 18 people, probably more, hurt, harms more. And Jesus says, do you think that those 18 were any worse than anyone else? Right? When, the, when, the, when the Twin Towers fall, fell, right? do you think all those people that die were worse sinners than any other sinners, that they deserve to die and that's what happened? The people in the earthquakes and the hurricanes that they deserve to die, the people that are starving, do you think they're worse sinners? That, that, that consequence that happened to them on this earth, that the way they died, doesn't equal their destination. That, that's so important. The manner in which someone dies does not equate to their judgment or to their destination. And that's what people were thinking. Like, man, God is being harsh to them. They must have been really bad people. And what Solomon is saying, look at, sometimes the world is upside down, isn't it? Good things happen to bad people, and bad things happen to good people. And here's the bottom line, we're all bad people. Not any worse than anyone else. And Jesus says, he makes it very clearly, Jesus says, no, says it twice, no, but unless you repent, you will be like them, meaning you will die like them. Now, is he saying a tower will fall on you and 
you'll be split, you'll have your, your blood mixed with offerings. That's not what he's saying. It says, you will be judged in ultimate judgment and death forever. This is the gospel truth. There aren't good people and there aren't bad people. There aren't worse sinners and then even worse sinners. The difference is there are repentant sinners and there are unrepentant sinners. Romans 3, 10 through 12 makes it clear. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. So together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. And then it goes on to say in verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is a standard of righteousness. It's God. Everything else falls short, is what Scripture says. Since, since the rebellion of Adam against God, every human being has been in open rebellion against God, their maker. Ever since that moment, Every human has been in open idolatry, worshiping after something else. And I define sin this way. There's lots of ways we can clarify this, but sin in a, a kind of big form is this, is open rebellion against God's sovereignty over all things all the time. Meaning sin is like, I'm in charge. Something else in charge. Or God's not in charge of that something else. It's putting something else in God's throne. And God is king over all things all the time. This all-powerful, all-knowing, just God. And sin is open rebellion to that. That's what Adam said. It's like, man, I could be like God. I could be like him too. I could know things. I could rule over things. The reality, the reality, the basic understanding of sin, it, sin becomes pointless once you understand it as that. Because how can you overthrow the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-sovereign God who is in control of all things? You can't. You can't. All of us are born into this guilt and into this evil. All of us are guilty of this evil. There is no bad things happen to good people because there are no good people. There are only sinners, people rebelling against God. There is a just, there are just good people. <laughs> oh, sorry. There are just good and bad things happening to bad people. Right? Good and bad things happen to bad people. Yet, the truth of that, we want justice executed immediately. Think about that. If this is true, there are only good and bad things happening to bad people, and yet we stand and say, God, why isn't justice served now? If we knew this real fact that there are only bad and good things happening to bad people, we would never want justice served. We say, can, can we just hold off on that for a bit? Can we, just, can we just have time to think about this, God? Genesis 2, 16 through 17. This is the Lord God commanded the man saying, 
You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. God warns him. You have this incredible freedom. Don't do this one thing. And if you do this one thing, in that day you will die. Now here is an incredible thing about scripture. They did that one thing. Did they get justice in that moment? Did they die in that day? Not physically. No, not physically. In fact, they got grace, didn't they? This is the fundamental fact of God. God is a just God, but He is a grace-filled God. He is long-suffering with His people, and He is patient. And all of that points to His grace. This is the fundamental, that God is merciful, that He doesn't execute judgment, final judgment on people right away. There's a grace of time. There's a grace of opportunity. God gives the grace of time to Adam and Eve, to you and I, and to every person, the grace of time to repent. He withholds his judgment. And you may think, well, God gave some people longer than others. It was more than anyone deserved. Adam and Eve deserved to die in in that moment. And so do we. God is just, but God is grace as well. And that is the gospel, that there is time to repent. I mean, the old man says, right, it's, it's too early to tell, but it's never too early to repent. It's too early to tell why good things and bad things are happening to bad people, but it is never too early to repent. The time is now. You and I are sinners like everyone else. We're not better and we are not worse. We can either be a repentant sinner or we can be an unrepentant sinner. The time is now. This is what Solomon says in this passage. This is what a repentant sinner looks like. One who says, man, God, I'm giving this to you. And I'm going to go the other direction and I'm thankful for the opportunity uh, the opportunity of time, of grace, to say, I'm sorry, to not do it again, to go in the other direction. This is what Solomon says. It says, a, repent, a repentant sinner is one who fears God, who one who trusts God, who one who loves God. Ecclesiastes 8.13. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither they will, he will prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear God. Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is inside. And we, curse, we know, we've talked about this. The end of all this whole book, the end of this pursuit and this search of knowledge, and this is what Solomon says, the end of the matter has been heard. Fear God. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. And I've been talking about how the fear of God is really, it's not just like just tremble at Him, although there is a part of that. But fearing God is actually learning to, to love Him and meant to trust Him. To trust that His commandments are good and His way is good and that He is a good God providing good things for us. Notice in those two things, the summation in Proverbs 
of the beginning is wisdom. And Ecclesiastes, the end of all things is wisdom is what? Fear God. Fear the one who is in control of all things. Fear the one who says, I am graceful. I am merciful. I withhold my judgment for a time. And that time is an opportunity for us. The summation of all wisdom. Wisdom skillfully living for God means fearing Him and obeying Him. And what is obedience to God? What is the summation of all His commandments? Love God and love His neighbor and hold on to this. All right, you go, okay, I can love neighbor, love God, love neighbor. Matthew 5, 43-43, Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount says this. You have heard that it was said you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Just think about what is just said here. Right? In the context of what he says, right, good things and bad things happen to bad people. Or he says good and just and unjust people. But we know it's bad things. Like, good and bad things, God has grace to both of them. It's the natural order that sends rain down. But the reality we know, he gives opportunity of time. In the context of saying that, he says, this is the application. Love your enemies. Because they're your neighbors. Don't just love the people that love you. Love the people that hate you. And why is that the foundation of love that God describes? Because that's how God loves us. Scripture is very clear. God loves us why we were his enemies. Why we are hostile to him. It does him no good to wait until he, we love him. Because it is clear we will never love him. Unless he intervenes. Unless he first intervenes with the grace of time, the grace of opportunity. In the midst of, of this world where unjust things happen, where, where the seemingly the, the bad people prevail, God says, love them because you love me. That's the foundation of all around. Do the things I ask you because you love me. That's your motivation. And, and the, the top thing is that is love your neighbor and included that is love your enemy because that's who God is who loves us. That is wisdom. That's the summation of wisdom. That's the summation of fearing God. Grace. The model of God's grace is delayed justice. The model of God's grace is delayed justice. And we are to live that out for others. We want at times to just give people what they deserve. How dare you treat me that way? And yet the model which God shows us, he doesn't say don't confront sin. It's not what he's saying. You always confront sin. But he says don't take your vengeance upon them. Love them. Give them grace. Give them opportunity. Give them time to repent. So, so one who, who is a repentant sinner looks like this one who fears God, who, who lives a grace-filled life. One who is a repentant sinner rejoices in God and rejoices in his gift. Ecclesiastes 8.15. 8, and I commend joy 
for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat, drink, and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of life that God has given him under the sun. Right? So in the midst of this unjust world, right, in, this, this, in this craziness, in this temporal vanity, right, enjoy the simple things. And understand that they're all gifts. In the ordinary things of the day, enjoy them. Rejoice in them. So just a, a simple uh, yesterday, right? Yesterday I, I killed Christmas, right? We took all our Christmas decorations down. We pulled out. I'm, I'm glad Jake's not here, so he didn't have to have to hear this. He can shield it from this. But we, we pulled the Christmas tree down, and every time I pull the Christmas tree down in New England, it's January. It is freezing. It is bitter. And I pull the tree out and, and we take all the, uh, uh, the lights off outside because I want to get on with the needles, get inside, right? And so my hands are bitter cold because I can't do it with gloves on because it's the way I have to wrap the tree. I mean, it's, it's insane, right? That's why I do it. So Andrew had helped us, but like, it was 60 plus degrees outside. And I'm thinking, thank God. I mean, I hate the task. It's a painful task of unwrapping this tree, right? Of all the lights. But like, thank God for this warmth and I'm not freezing and my hands aren't numb. That's enjoying a simple gift of God of the day. I still was kind of annoyed that I had to do it, but that's because I'm evil. I'm a bad person. <laughs> Be content. That's really what it is. Be content. Stop grumbling about the day. Enjoy the gifts. Enjoy the one who's in control of all the gifts all the time in all things. A repentant sinner looks like one who fears God, who lives a grace-filled life, a one who, who rejoices in the gifts of the simple, ordinary gifts of God every day. And a repentant sinner is this, one who is humble, one who rests in God's sovereignty. Ecclesiastes 8.17. Then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out, even though a wise man claims to know. He cannot Find it out. I told you the root of sin, right, is our pride, is our idolatry, the rebellion of God's sovereignty, of putting ourselves over and above God. And the most, I think, way that it looks like in life is that we put ourselves in the place of judge. And we don't say that we put ourselves in the place of God's judgment, but we stand in judgment upon all the people in our lives. That's putting yourself in the place of God. That's saying that I can know things that they don't know and God doesn't really know and I want justice now and I can do it. Because in this, when we do this, we don't understand God's way. We don't understand that delayed judgment is not injustice, but it's grace. God's divine grace and his love for people. We put our wisdom and our understanding over God, even though we can't and we don't know the future. And yet we say, well, we think this is best. Humility understands that there's a difference. There's a great chasm between you and God, between us and God. There's a chasm of holiness, of goodness, and evil there's a chasm of eternalness, one, one who is infinite, and we who are finite. There's a chasm of knowledge, one who is all-knowing, one that barely know anything. One that is all-powerful. We know, as we grow older, the more we know, that, man, we have no power. We don't control anything. 
that there's one who is sovereign, and there are thus that we either are adopted in as co-heirs into his kingship, or we are just his servants. And the truth is, we don't have the answer why evil exists, or why certain evil happens. We don't know the outcome of certain events and circumstances, because it's too early to tell. But we do know that God is in control, and that he has a plan, and that he has a purpose, and all of this time is an opportunity, and it's all God's grace. We do know that God is sovereign all the time, over all things. And we do know, we do know that delayed justice, although at times frustrating for us, is divine grace for all. It may be too early to tell why things are happening, but it's never too early to repent. It's never too early to fear God. It's never too early to enjoy the small things, the ordinary things, the gifts of the day. And it's never too early to be humble before God. Amen.